0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interactions and Attractions, a podcast that explores rural tourism and all that North Carolina has to offer. I'm your host, Carol Klein, part of the Uplift program and a tourism professor at Appalachian State University. And I am so excited to embark on this adventure with all of our listeners and special guests. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the ins and outs of the tourism industry through conversations with some of the brightest minds in the industry. From seasoned tourism experts to inspiring community leaders and valuable state partners, we'll hear their stories, insights, and passions for the destinations that they hold dear. Come along with us to discover how tourism can aid the local economy, preserve ecosystems, and celebrate the diversity of our cultures. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Interactions and Attractions. We are here today with Olivia Collier. Olivia has like 10 different titles, but let me see if I can get a couple of them right. Um, You are the Director of Regional Development Commissions. That's two commissions. uh, Appalachian Regional Commission, which is in the western part of the state, and then the Southeast Crescent Regional Commission, which covers a different part of the state, which I'm gonna let you tell us about. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Carol. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today and talk about the work that uh, my team and I do across North Carolina. Nice.
0: Yeah, it it was a little bit easier when I could just say uh, Olivia is the state director of the Appalachian Regional Commission. (laughs) But um, now these commission names are um, a a little bit, Foreign to you, Olivia is going to talk about these organizations and and what they do in North Carolina, the types of work they do, and specifically the benefits that um, uh, have been brought and are going to be brought uh, in the case of the Southeast Crescent, um, going to be brought to rural communities, right? So, uh, Olivia, you um, you have worked for uh, many years in rural communities, and so let me just start by asking you, what is your current role in Rural Development?
1: Thanks for that question, Carol. What I see my role in Rural Development, um, and now I have the ability managing both ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission, and the Southeast Crescent SCRC to be able to work all across the state. Um, Prior to SCRC coming into fruition about 24 months ago, I only worked in the 31 counties that Congress defines as Western North Carolina. And now I have the ability to work in all 100. And the work that my team and I do, It's not just around grant making. A lot of what we do is around grants and funding. But then a big chunk of what we do happens before we get to making a grant Mm -hmm. and helping um, local governments, nonprofit organizations, and educational institutions primarily be prepared for a grant. We provide a lot of technical assistance um, around strategic planning, around is your project feasible, around helping you even figure out how to even start, where, did you, where do you even start with project development. So we do a lot of that um, on the front end. And sometimes that work takes weeks, months, years um, before you can even apply for a grant um, from either of the programs that I manage or my colleagues manage. Um, so we do a lot of technical assistance and bringing folks to the table. I, I think that is the one thing that I want folks to know about both of these commissions. Yeah, there's money available, but it's more about bringing folks in communities to the table to think about what needs to happen in their communities to move the economic needle, which is different in every community, but that's what we do um, every day.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and we could stop the the podcast episode right there because everything you said was just so valuable. Um, yes, you provide grants, but the mm-hmm. the I mean, I would say the the real value is prior to that that um, right. project development conceptualization um mm-hmm. opera okay that word operationalization i did it um, <laughs> uh, figuring out who's going to do what and all of the pieces and and right. and I, I guess you would agree because you've been doing um r- grant review for um for a time um a lot of people will see dollar signs and they just want to apply for grants but they haven't done that work up
1: front right. You have to be able to communicate um, to a grant reviewer the same you would communicate to a bank loan officer mm-hmm. who you are, why you want the funding, what you want it for and what you're going to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it can't simply be just sending an application for $150,000 because, oh, by the way, you want to redo your downtown streetscapes by putting in new benches, lights curb and gutter. Mm-hmm. Well, as a grant reviewer, I'm going to come back to you and say, well, how do you know you need to do that? Mm-hmm. What are the reasons? And it has to be more than, well, we just want our downtown to look nicer. You have It has to be a little more thought put behind it. Yes, we want every downtown to be attractive for both residents and visitors, but we also need to understand that the sidewalks aren't accessible for folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the traffic the traffic lights aren't cycled so that traffic stops it's dangerous for pedestrians to move around downtown we don't have adequate street lights so after the sun sets people don't want to be downtown mm-hmm. so we ask and work with uh, potential applicants to help them think through that and if our team at the department doesn't have the ability to help you do the actual nitty-gritty planning we look for partners to help you do that and we we try to connect Um, organizations and local governments. Um, Again, if our team can't do it with folks that can help them do the planning, planning, pre-planning before you apply for a grant, it's just like doing a business plan before you go to the bank. It's the same thing and it's very needed. And as a grant reviewer, when those documents aren't in place, you're not going to get the grant.
0: Right. It's yeah. I mean, it's really even silly that we're having this conversation and having to say that it's needed because it, how can you ask for money for anything um, without being able to demonstrate what you're going to do with, with it? And as you said, what's, what impact is it going to have? So on the front end, Olivia, do, do, does the grant applicant need to assess um, from the community what the needs are?
1: yeah that's taken into account a lot of times in strategic plans wow. that our team of planners um, within the department do and we have a team of planners all across the state one per prosperity zone and they often will help communities um, local governments and nonprofits at, at times do strategic planning and sometimes part of that process is a charrette process where they will have public input sessions on what do you want your community to look like mm-hmm. um, what's missing in your community what are you proud about in your community? What are your challenges? And that team of planners, along with other partners, will help the entity that they're working with frame all of the public input into a strategic plan with goals and action items. And sometimes those action items are where your grant comes from. Right. You've identified we want better street lights downtown because we want folks to be out and about after 5 p.m. and feel safe and be able to see where they're going. and and go in and out of restaurants and shops and so then you have a strategic plan that documents why your community wants and needs that as a part of a project and then you go to find a funder that will help you fund what you want to do in your community
0: right and then and then if you get the if you receive the funds now you're ready to go because you've already done all of this upfront work right. on who and what and and what the timeline is going to be right. now I, I neglected to mention that you are situated Uh, you know, as the director of regional development commissions, you're situated within the North Carolina Department of Commerce. And I I neglected to mention that specifically in the division, the rural economic development division. Um, So I just want to clarify that for for the listeners. Um, And then on the back end, you know, once you make this fabulous impact on the community, you know, how how do they assess that? How, how does the applicant assess that? Because they need to show success, I would
1: think. They do. And we oftentimes talk about success and and related to performance measures. So what are you going to accomplish? And using the streetscape example, we often will um, approve streetscape grants. Um, one that comes to mind is in downtown Sparta in Allegheny County. We partnered with um, the town The u.s department of agriculture rural development and a couple other smaller funders to help redo their main street Um, it was curb and gutter it was modifying the intersections it was new trees new lighting and benches and the performance measures for them were number of businesses served okay how many businesses along that main street would now have the ability to have safer access for visitors and local residents to interact with their business, um, so we definitely ask, and I often tell people, "There's a bean counter. There's a bean counter either in Raleigh on Jones Street or in Washington D.C. When it's government money, that's going to want to say, for this investment, this was this is the return, and the return oftentimes is what did you accomplish? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just we put up new benches, but it needs to be, it be is, measurable. Yeah, it has to be measurable, and. and We spend a lot of time with potential applicants, helping them figure out what they're going to measure. Yeah. Um, I mean, as, and we have a field team to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a nerd um, who works at a university, I love that. I love figuring out how to um, count or or value abstract things because putting benches in, well, you know, how many benches are you putting in? Fine, that's easy to, but, but how many more hours are people lingering downtown? Um, is there, uh, an economic impact to that because people are lingering downtown? I mean, th- those, um, those are some real concrete things that seem, um, a- a- odd or awkward to measure, but it can be done.
1: It can be done. And another good example of, um, helping measure performance on a grant is we do a lot of um, work with smaller communities mm-hmm. to do free, help them put in free public Wi-Fi systems okay. in their communities. Um, Cause as we know when people, everybody has a cell phone now and everybody wants to be scrolling and looking at what they're going to go do next. A lot of times they want to look at the menu before they walk into a restaurant to see, do they have what I want to eat? And so the way we measure measure, those uh, downtown wi-fi projects is how many clicks how many times is that system used um, and particularly in a community in dillsborough in jackson county we are now installing um, a system in their community that not only will be used in their downtown proper but also at their local park which is where all their festivals are and so they are going to be able to count on the festival days they do a festival around easter and several other ones throughout the year they're going to be able to have a, a data point of how many users cl- clicked and accepted the free public Wi-Fi. Um, and that's a great measure to be able to say um, that that many people were able to use the system. That's fantastic. For um, we,
0: we actually had a, 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 well, we have many uh, requests um, from folks in the uplift communities in, in Eastern and Central part of North Carolina. How do we measure people? how do we measure the number of people who come to a festival? And so I, I've never heard what you just mentioned right there. I cannot wait to, to pass that along. That's that's very cool. and If you think
1: about it, I mean, a lot of festivals are in downtown. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have a downtown fiber ring network, you can um, figure out yeah. and you can count how many people logged on that day. Very clever.
0: Well, let me ask you about, about, you know, let's go back. Why did you get into public service? Um, and are there any key events or interactions uh, that led you to this profession? Um,
1: I'm the daughter of two public servants, oh. uh, an elementary school teacher and a um, corrections staffer. Um, so I knew nothing but public service as a kid. Um, when I actually was, I'm, I'm odd in this, and that's okay to tell me I'm odd. I was a page in high school at the North Carolina Department of Commerce on the very floor I work on now. I came back in college between my junior and senior year and was a public affairs intern in the Department of Commerce on the exact same floor I work on now. And um, that experience um, was right before September 11th. Um, I had the ability that summer, it was under Governor Mike Easley, to write a lot of press releases for Governor Easley, to plan a lot of public job announcements for Governor Easley um, and that's where I started learning about community economic development that summer. And so I went into my senior year knowing I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't quite know where um, or what. And that helped kind of solidify it. I stayed at East Carolina and got my MPA. And during that MPA experience, I worked in the town of Scotland Neck as their marketing director on a Golden Leaf project. And it was solely based on um, their outdoor resources and helping that community figure out um, In the off season, so when the farms weren't being used for tobacco, how could those farmers make extra income? And the answer at the time, and the answer still is, they have a huge population of white-tailed deer. Mm -hmm. And we worked with farmers to figure out how they could attract folks and um, create guide services Mm -hmm. um, to help folks come hunting. And so that experience then led me to the department and I've been here ever since then. I'm I'm odd in that respect. I've moved around in the department, um, but I knew pretty um, early on, this is where I wanted to be in this type of work. And I've been fortunate um, to be in the positions that I have been able to be in to really see some change in some really small communities. I mean, Scotland Neck is pretty small. um, And they have some great assets. And it's been great to have started there and continue to see what they're doing in scotland and be able to impact that through the work that i continue to do today
0: absolutely um yeah so your 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 key interaction um goes back to uh being a page yeah i love that
1: i have the photo behind me you can't see it because my screen's blurred but I, there's a photo with me and governor jim hunt as a page
0: fabulous fabulous well, so you've you've talked about little some of your projects, but let me just ask you specifically: tell us about one or two of your favorite prog- projects that you've worked on. You would may consider them infrastructure or streetscaping. I, I consider them tourism. Everything relates to tourism for me. Um,
1: it's hard to name just one. one. Um. I'll I'll start with one big one, and then I can name a smaller one. Um, Obviously, I talked about Sparta streetscape. I talked about Dillsborough's Wi-Fi. Um, We have worked with an organization that is in Western North Carolina called the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area a number of times. Um, Our most recent um, grants to them, and we've made, I think now three, are to help them establish and implement the Blue Ridge National Heritage Area craft trails. And this piggybacks, Carol, actually on work you did at Handmade America in helping, crafters, small businesses in Western North Carolina, be able to be connected electronically on a website where visitors could figure out, oh, I'm going to this county, and then I'm going to this county. Is there a local potter or a painter or a woodcarver? And I can, they can map out their itineraries. Um, And we have funded that work. And now that work is transitioning into an online sales portal. Um, so those crafters have the ability through the heritage area or will have the ability to sell their crafts. Um, if a visitor sees them online, but can't make the drive, um, because maybe they live on the West coast, but they could buy a craft from Western North Carolina, um, and have it shipped to them. Um, so that's one of my favorite, I will, I'm going to take a different turn on the other projects that I have found really impactful. And those are projects um, helping individuals who are navigating substance use disorder. We have funded a number of projects throughout the region, and hope to do that in the eastern part of the state now with Southeast Crescent, where we have been able to make investments to help individuals who are navigating that um, disease go to work, get a skill, and make you know make a really good life. And being able to interact with those individuals, um, I often. say I'm a paper pusher, I push a lot of paper. There are piles of paper on either side of me on the floor that I've had to read and push. But when you put the name and a face with a person that, because of a grant you made, um, now is making a livelihood, has their kids back, has bought a house, um, has found meaningful employment, um, those are the impactful things. And there are examples of that all across the state. Um, so those are my favorites,
0: and and that makes that that evens out, um, if not surpasses some of the, the annoyances or um, <laughs> other challenges to, to working in um, within the the public sector. Yes, um, well, you mentioned Southeast um, Crescent. Um, t- tell
1: us about what that is. So the Southeast Crescent is a regional commission modeled off the Appalachian Regional Commission. Um, It was actually created in the 2008 Farm Bill, so a long time ago, Um, but it took until December of 2021 for a president to appoint a federal co-chair, which was the one thing that had to happen for the commission to become active. And President Biden appointed Dr. Jennifer Claiborne Reed from Columbia, South Carolina. And since about January, the middle of January of 2022, Dr. Reed has been working with the governors of the Southeast Crescent States, um, which is Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and the state of Florida to set up the commission. And we are actually in the midst right now of reviewing our first um, grant applications. Um, In North Carolina, we have $4.4 million available. We received 105 pre-applications requesting $35.5 million.
0: Okay.
1: So I've had my work cut out the last <laughs> few weeks.
0: You're going to be reviewing all those, huh?
1: I am. Yes. Okay. Yes,
0: it, it's a lot of work. It, it is. It is. Um, you and you were kind enough to record a um, webinar for us on these grants funds uh, for, from the Southeast Crescent, uh, which is in Uplifts Knowledge Center on our website. Um, do you anticipate that there'll be another round of funding okay. after this year?
1: I do. Um, if we have maintained our level funding in the budget. I, the question now is when will Congress pass a budget? Okay. Once that finally happens, we'll be able to work with the commission to start the application process okay. again. I would Very assume good. next spring or summer. Very
0: good. Well, and in speaking of that, Olivia, the webinar that you did um, for Uplift, and and going back to something you said earlier in this episode. In terms of helping people prepare for grants, I really have learned from you how accessible um, many grantors, many grant managers, but especially you, um, are to people. And and you know, I think I probably held that um, common belief that that many people do that grant managers are, are inaccessible, and you can't, you don't want to bother them, and um, it, it's just not their role to you know. Explain things over, you know, to you or ask specific, answer specific questions you have. You you have just debunked
1: all that for me. It's been fabulous. Um. Well, I'm glad I debunked that. Uh, there are certain programs, particularly from the national level, that grant managers, uh, for a variety of internal reasons for those federal programs, can't be transparent and have those conversations. But I would say a, a good majority of the time. Um, both federal and state funders um, and um, nonprofit funders want to talk to you about your project. We, we hate to say no. We have to say no a lot. Um, our goal is to get to yes. And it's easier to get to yes when we have a really good understanding of your project. And when sometimes what is written in the application, the narrative doesn't translate to the reality. Um, so it's always helpful when you can talk to the grant program reviewer Um, and in the southeast crescent um, case of the 105 pre-apps i know i've talked to at least 50 or 60 of them and i'm hoping to make my way through the rest of them if i can before i have to make decisions so i can learn more about the community or um, people often tell me that i'm pretty transparent i try to be pretty upfront. yeah um, I don't try to waste communities or local governments or organizations time because your time is valuable. And so if I can't fund something, I try to tell you that upfront yeah. and guide yeah. you to what I can fund or an organization that maybe can fund what you need. If it's not us. Um, I see that as my that's my job.
0: Yeah, that's it's, that's fantastic. And um, it makes you it's one reason why you are so darn good at your job. No, oh, thanks girl. Um and and I'll say this next part so that you don't have to. When people contact you or other grants managers, they need to have read the the announcement, they need to have read all the literature, all the bu- the entire bulletin. They need to have watched the 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 videos that have
1: been provided before contacting you, right? Right? It's very helpful and it's obvious when you haven't. Yeah. Um I am screening a number of pre-applications for Southeast Crescent funding that are asking for funding to build housing. It is, it is against our statute to build housing. And it's pretty obvious that the individuals who wrote those pre-applications didn't read the NOFA, didn't read the Notice of Funding Availability. No,
0: that's what NOFA is, Notice of Funding Availability, okay.
1: It's spelled out in the Notice of Funding Availability multiple times that SCRC funding cannot be used to construct units of housing. And so it's obvious when I read those pre-apps, they're great projects, but I can't fund them.
0: Well, it reminds me when my students um, ask me about an assignment and they, and they haven't read the assignment yet, but they're just asking me random questions. Yeah.
1: Just (laughs) to ask.
0: Um, So, so what do you feel like are, are some challenges of working in rural North Carolina? I mean, certainly there's, there's the joys and, and connecting with the folks, in our communities is amazing. What are some of the challenges?
1: I think um, the first challenge that comes to mind, um, and our colleague, Kenny Flowers, and I, we talk about this a lot, is the capacity, the lack of capacity okay. in rural communities. Um, it's a challenge in every rural community across this country, yeah. and I dare say across the what world. What do you mean by capacity? The lack of human capacity, um, among other types of capacity, is, um, in rural communities whether it's the local government or the nonprofit organizations the individuals running that usually are wearing a dozen hats yeah. and they often don't have time during the day to really focus intently on what needs to be focused on because they're putting out fires left and right yeah. um, they might be the they might be the town planner they're also the um Buildings code inspector, and oh, by the way, they also serve on the local fire department, and they may be the one at the window taking your utility payment.
0: And they serve on the uh, the uh, spring festival committee,
1: right? And so that capacity, um, and, you know, we've done a lot at the department and with ARC on trying to help build local capacity through leadership training programs, and, and I think we're making headway, but we've got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this isn't a new challenge at all. I think COVID um, heightened that challenge. Um, People are really starting to acknowledge the capacity challenges, particularly in North Carolina, um, which is one reason we have a team of planners that tries as best they can, albeit a small team, to help local governments um, with their capacity. Um, And there are lots of other partners across the state doing that as well, but I I think that's the biggest challenge is the capacity. People often tell me that, oh, isn't it the money that's the challenge? It's not. Mm -hmm. I I find often there's money when you can figure out what you're, um, what you need it for. It's the capacity. To plan, to write the application, to implement—it's—it's it's that human capacity that's often the biggest challenge in rural communities.
0: And I'm sure some of our listeners who are not in rural communities can identify with those different roles, or or, or just you know, actually they can they can identify with um, being so busy with what has to be done right now that they don't have time to think um, through on future planning, but. Um, but in rural communities, as you've mentioned, people are wearing 17 different hats because they have to. Well, so so let me ask a, a question a different way. Um, what are um, some misperceptions about our rural residents and our rural places? What have you heard
1: throughout your time working? I have often heard um, and I've heard this in both ends of the state. Um, Oh, those people don't know what they, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. They're they're uneducated. Um, We need to come in from the big city and tell them what to do. No, we don't. We need to come in from Raleigh, which is where I am, Mm -hmm. and listen and help figure out what resources we have that can help them solve their challenge. I, I often find that local communities, they know the solution to the problem. You might need to help them acknowledge that um, and help them understand their challenge is actually an opportunity and help them reframe that. Um, But they know, they just sometimes need some time and guidance, that capacity again, to figure out what they need. Um, And I think every rural community has an asset. And that's oftentimes, my team and I talk, often about sometimes we'll go into communities and they'll go we have nothing we the community will say we have nothing here but you do yeah and i think it's our team's job particularly from the planning perspective and then we have the state's main street program in the division i work in they work really hard to help communities see their local assets Mm -hmm. it's called asset-based economic development a lot of what you are doing with project uplift communities are unique um, and helping those communities figure out what's unique about them and capitalizing on that. You don't have to be what your neighboring town is. We don't need five of the same thing. Right? Figure out what you have. Um, and community, rural communities across the state have that.
0: Absolutely. And that's what I love. That's, that's what I love about uh, tourism is, is that we can celebrate those things and um, amplify and, and just modify it as an asset um, just a little bit to then turn it into something that a visitor can, uh, enjoy, but in exchange for visitor dollars. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So, so misperception, uh, you, you, you've named, okay. Those, those folks don't know what they need. Um, they're uneducated. Um, the community will sometimes say, we don't have any, there's nothing here. Why? I, I mean, I've heard, you know, why would a visitor want to come here? Um, you, you also mentioned that, uh, every community has an asset, every community has stories and, and that's a large part of, um, the, the product development, uh, pieces we're doing with Uplift as well.
1: I think every community has a story, Carol, and it's, um, and sometimes those stories aren't positive, but they're part of their story and they need to just figure out the appropriate way to acknowledge that. Um, and that, that acknowledgement can help them figure out the opportunity around that. Every community has something, absolutely everyone has something that they can be proud of.
0: And, and one of the challenges in doing this work is, is, um, you know, people in the community will see that the history differently. And, and so agreeing upon how to present the history and agreeing upon what they want to share um and how they want to share it that's that's the you know that's the devil in the details
1: yeah that's the hard work that's the hard work
0: um any other misconceptions you can think about think of um
1: i'll never forget one time i went to a um meeting in a very rural community um
0: which they'll remain nameless, I guess.
1: Which still remain nameless. Okay. Um, but one of my favorite rural communities, and um, it was a commission meeting. A couple of the commissioners showed up in overalls, and I'll never forget I, the person I was traveling with, um, not from a rural community, right? Was taken mm-hmm. aback by that. Um, and I thought, well, they just got off. They came off their farm. Yeah, that's their life. It life. working. They came straight from work. You know, and farming is the largest business in our state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are the misconceptions that just because um, folks may not be in the three piece suit, which I appreciate when we don't have to be in all black suit. Amen. um, That we we're just, we're all people. Um, One of my favorite stories, and this is a misconception um, about rural communities, but just in general, former Secretary John Scavarla, um, who was the secretary of the Department of Commerce several years ago, his favorite food was a hot dog. And so wherever we went, he wanted to go to the greasiest spoon there was and eat a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Now, John would roll into these meetings with staff, and we all looked like we just came out of some business meeting. He would take his jacket off, roll his sleeves up, and ask to go in the kitchen. He wanted to meet the cooks who made his hot dog. And it didn't matter where we were. And we got some funny looks going into some places. I bet. Um, but he uh, he's a great example of someone who um saw past the outward appearance and just wanted to see people um, and he used hot dogs as in a way to meet people where they were um and we went to hot dog joints in very urban places and extremely rural crossroads um and and he loved that experience and i admired that about him um that he he would just go in and want to talk to the people that were frying, grilling, however they made his hot dog. He wanted to talk to them. That's a great story. Um,
0: and I bet, and I bet of, those are some of his favorite memories from from mm-hmm. his work as well.
1: Yeah. He He was a great man. He since has passed, but he was he was a great secretary.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that story. I do have one final question for you. Olivia Collier, let's see how you handle this question. What is your one favorite attraction in the state?
1: See, I'd been warned you were going to ask that, and you were going to make me pick one. One. Um. Which is really hard.
0: Mm-hmm. Hit. Did David McRae tell on me, or was it Liz Carm?
1: Oh, David. Um, did I haven't t- talked to Liz, but David. Um, my one favorite attraction. I don't really have one, Carol. That's the problem. <laughs> Do you want me to say the North Carolina Museum of History? I love the Museum of History. Yes, perfect. And I'm going there in 15 minutes.
0: Perfect. Perfect. I love the the Museum of History. Fantastic. Um, thank you, Olivia, for not only answering that question, but for answering all the questions and telling us about the important, important work you do. It is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And, Um, more. So for me, it's a pleasure to get to work with you so regularly. Thank you, Olivia.
1: I enjoy working with you as well.
0: That's all we have today on interactions and attractions. Thank you all for joining us. Stay tuned every Monday and Friday for new releases, and be sure to stay updated on what Uplift is doing through our social media. The Uplift program is funded under award 047907689 from the Economic Development Administration, U.S. Department of Commerce. The conversations, insights, and recommendations are those of the podcast production team and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Economic Development Administration or the US Department of Commerce.